Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Women of Rock Oral History Project podcast. This is part two of season two, episode three, with Nina Gordon and Louise Post from the band Veruca Salt. Um, we ended last week with the recording of Eight Arms to Hold You and Jim, uh, Nina's brother, and Veruca Salt drummer had just left the band. So that's where we're going to start this week. And I think because I talked so much in the intro to the first part of this episode, I will be quiet and we will begin. We weren't communicating anymore. Not on tour either. You guys always presented a very, and I think maybe because you did interviews together. Um, oh, we had we were yeah. we were very close as friends. Oh, we were okay. very close. We were we were and, and it musically. wasn't and musically and it mm-hmm. wasn't even at the beginning. At the beginning, it was all fine. Mm-hmm. It was all fine. And the songs that we did end up doing together and on that record, we we both felt great about. So that mm-hmm. was I was just sort of describing a mood of the making of the demos, okay. and there was something there that led to what happened later. Mm-hmm. But when the record actually came to fruition, when we finished that album, when Nina and I basically said, okay, Bob, here are the reins, let's do this record, you do it how you want to do it, that that was a huge weight off our shoulders, because we didn't have to try to run the show, we didn't yeah. have to fight with Jim, we didn't have to fight with Steve, we didn't have to <laughs> fight with each other, yeah. yeah, we just did the record, and it was a relief, because we could actually be healthy people living in Hawaii, enjoying ourselves, singing, and doing what we love most, and playing guitar, and finishing this album that we were so eager to finish. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Being in a band is incredibly hard because if you if you if it's a democracy, which we uh, we set out to have, um, if you've got four people with strong opinions and there's no director, there's no one person, there's no lead singer, it's you know a collaborative effort. Then when you disagree, we had no system in place for how decisions got made. In the end, Louise and I felt we should make decisions because we were the ones writing the songs at the time, um, and we were the front women. But being in a creative environment with four different people, it's it's too many cooks. Yeah. And um, and I think a lot of bands that are made up of dudes have an easier time just saying, "Oh, that's a terrible idea. That sucks. Let's do mm-hmm. this." We're more like, "Sweetie, I don't know about <laughs> that. Um, maybe." And. Um, you know, my boyfriend at the time said, oh, no, we just shoot each other down the whole time. Well, we weren't, we didn't want an environment like that. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to feel cut down and insulted, and that didn't work for us. It didn't work for us. They broke up, too. Right, right, no, they broke up, No, I know. But we've we've often talked about bands, like, you know, with, with incredible staying power. You know, you talk about, like, the Rolling Stones or something, bands that are together for 50 years, yeah. and they had all kinds of drama and difficulty and they got mad at each other but they came back you know came back together because of the music and probably also because I mean definitely because of the money and the fact that they were a huge you know if you have a cash cow and then the entire industry supports you staying together in our situation I'm jumping ahead in our situation had we had had we sold 11 million records we may have stayed together because our management probably wouldn't have let us break up. Yeah. Our record label wouldn't have let us break up. <laughs> you know, if you are that, then everybody fights to keep 
spew together. Mm -hmm. But in our situation, our second record didn't meet the expectations that everybody had for it. It did incredibly well in the grand scheme yeah. of things, but when when push came to shove and everything started to fall apart, they all let it fall apart. Right, and, and I have to backtrack to, um, you know, my central motivation for starting a band with a woman and wanting a female band was to get out of that theater company that was a boys' club. Mm -hmm. As much as I learned from it, as much as I treasure some of those friendships to date, it was really the you know the quintessential boys' club. Yeah. It was run by men. They chose the plays. There were only like one to two female parts, and um, we all, all all the women scrambled to get them. And you know, and then I went to go see this agent. And I could have just gotten a different agent who was more you know a better human being, but, um, you know, who saw that the head, the head shot in the crooked tooth and pointed out my flaw that I wasn't aware of having. And, um, you know, all of that was the, the, the impetus to get into a band, to start a band, to start, create my own art, to share my art with another woman was, was the be all and end all. I mean, that mm -hmm. was really the goal. And, um, we arrived to that together. We found that together. And then to be sort of that whole vision be sort of con distorted and contorted by all these, um, all these outside influences, um, like, you know, and to have our unified front be fractured by circumstances outside of ourselves was such a cliche. It was such like, that's the thing that kills me. It's sort of like, yeah. we were holding the torch for women, for girls like you who were in high school, who could see that women, you know, grown up women could be together, stay together, have a career together, be powerful and volcanic and whatever. Um, and have a unified voice and can make it that way. And we did not. You know, mm -hmm. we splintered and we fell apart. And there were all these outside, again, like, there was no one person. There was no one force. But it all infiltrated our friendship and our business relationship uh, suffered for it. And then, of course, ultimately it was our friendship that suffered for it. Um, not in the end, but, you know, for, for a long time, uh, a long period. And... Um, and, 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 you know, and as I was saying earlier also about listening to Nina sing and loving her songs and feeling like I was saying that universally speaking, I feel like it is, and this is the risk of sounding incredibly pretentious, I think it's our, the responsibility of the artist to produce and to create and to offer, you know, mm -hmm. to make the, the artist's unique offering that only he or she can make. And, um, and that's, then, then the rest is none of their business, you know? <laughs> it's just like, whatever people say about it, who cares? Yeah. The, our only job is to show up, to write the songs, to record them, put them out there, and then to make the next record, you yeah. know? And that's what we didn't have the foresight, um, you know, the breadth of knowledge um, to understand. Um, we didn't know that really it was just, we were just making records. If I could see, like if someone were to say and shine a light on that moment at that point and say, Louise, this is just a moment in time and you are making your second record right now, you guys are going to fall apart for a little bit and then you'll get back together. Just make your next record. Like, and, and let all these little things are so small. They're small potatoes in the big picture. Like, just keep your eye on the prize, really. And this is the prize. Like, and <laughs> our music and what we do together. Um, I, you know, of course, things had to happen the way they did, but we, we, didn't, we didn't have the maturity and the, and the understanding. Yes, yeah, I know. Or the support. Or the support. And we had people, men, you know, this is not to vilify all the men in our lives, but whispering in our ears. Mm. And kind of poisoning, poisoning us against each other. Yeah. And um, nobody said, except for Dennis Dennehy, who was our publicist 
after the fact, had said, you know, if you were making Keith, you guys would have just, like, you know, beaten each other up and gotten back together and made music. Because yeah. that's what you love to do. And, and the moment we did get back together after 15 years of not singing together, it was both of us cried and felt so much regret. And just relief. Like, and re- huge relief. But so much sadness about, like, why? Why did we? Why? It was mm-hmm. so. Pre- this was so precious, and um, and I was not able to create in that way. Yes, I, I made solo records, but it was never it was never the same. So um, there were there were people in our lives, not not you know through no fault of theirs. People were whispering. People had, and the thing is, if you have two songwriters in a band, and you and you don't collaborate, then there are Nina songs and there are Louise songs, yeah. and different people are going to be. They're going to like the Louise songs, or they're going to like the Nina songs. And so the Nina song people are whispering, saying, you know, you know, it's like Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, like Slugworth or whatever, like whispering in your ear and saying, like, come over here. And I think that's that's that separated us long before we even. We even broke up. We had our boyfriends who were like supporting us, and it um, there was just like little bits of poison. And then there's all the all the like it started out as fun. We were rock stars. We were out there and we were on the road, and there were drugs and there were dudes, and we thought like we thought we could um, play the same game that all the guys in rock bands played. Mm-hmm. And maybe it works for them, but it did not work for us. We were not those people, and we had softer, um, softer skin, and and I don't know. We just didn't have that kind of stamina. Swagger. We, we didn't have it. We didn't. <laughs> Swagger. We didn't. We were not. We were not. We were not that. We are. No. We are thinking, feeling, passionate, and compassionate women. Mm-hmm. You know. So the, like yeah. So the. The we tried. We tried yeah, to, we to do that. And we, we that made a good... talking about that Jim is the moral compass? Because I heard that that last tour clue. was, like, crazier than yes. Yes. any of the other tours. Yes, and part of it has to do with the influence of bands that we went on tour with. Okay. Um, and... I was at your last show, which I didn't know was your last in show. In Boston. The with the olives. Oh, can you say <gasps> that olives. with your dad? Sorry. <laughs> she hates the olives. And my, my mom was with me, and she was like, I think she's throwing olives. Why did she <laughs> have olives? I was throwing so young, so I couldn't get in by myself. Oh, that's like, cool. <laughs> that's like the, but you know what? The nice thing about that night, it was our last show, but I met my husband that night. Oh, you did? I don't remember meeting oh. him, but he remembers meeting me. <laughs> and you know, fun, strangely, um, another New Year's Eve s- story for you. Mm-hmm. I met my husband, my then future husband, mm-hmm. on New Year's Eve in uh, Chicago. Yeah, when we played oh. the Double Door. Yep. That's really weird that all of those uh-huh. things happen. It's easy to remember, though. Mm-hmm. You can put it in your log. Mm-hmm. New Year's Eve. <laughs> But yeah, that um, Jim was Jim was the moral glue. Certainly for me, because he was my brother, and and mm-hmm. and, um, and just for all of us, he he didn't. You know, Jim has a lot of um, disdain for a lot of ways of being, and um, he's a lovely guy. But he definitely makes you feel a little like certain things are acceptable, certain words are acceptable to use in songs, and certain words are not. Embarrassed and ashamed. Yeah, yeah, embarrassed and ashamed. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so he left, and things kind of, you know, all hell kind of broke loose. And again, it had to do with the people we were touring with, and, um, you know, and, and again, we made, a, we, we made a good go of it. I mean, we definitely tried to live that way, and it just didn't work for us. And mm-hmm. ultimately became a wedge between us. Um, what 
Was there one, or who approached who about, I don't want to do this anymore? I read that it was Nina, but again, you guys don't talk about it that much, which I think is really nice. <laughs> you don't go into, so it's kind of like a mystery. I mean, I want to know, but. <laughs> like, what, you know, I mean, just who. Nina, Nina was upset with me, and she decided she wasn't, didn't want to play together anymore. Okay. Um, and then you, you kept the Baruch Assault name. Like, I mean, I followed, you know, the, all the in-between. I, I always knew that you would get back together, so. You did? Oh, I always knew I it. didn't. I mean, it was heartbreaking for I me when didn't. it happened, but I was like, you know, so just 15 years of sadness and borderline <laughs> depression, but, <laughs> but I feel better that. now. No, it's okay. No, it was all right. That's probably why I started drinking so much. Oh, <laughs> like, no. Maybe it's Brooke Assault's fault. I don't know. <laughs> the influence we ended up having. Yeah. See? Um, but what made you decide to keep the name or to attempt to continue Brooke Assault on your own? Um... Well, I wasn't ready for it to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think I couldn't accept what I felt like was the failure of the band breaking up, and mm-hmm. I I it was sort of like um, you know I was imagined you know growing up buying records, going to the record stores, buying vinyl. I was imagined like all the River Salt records yeah. there would be, just like all the B fifty two records when I got Whammy and and. <laughs> private Idaho and whatever I forgot all the names now but when I would go get all these records that's what I and Prince and everybody that's what I dreamed that we would have and um and so part of it was that part of it was like I don't want this to be over and I really in my heart didn't want this to be over yeah of course and I was also um afraid of doing it on my own and and I think I think there were a lot of different things at play. I was angry. I was angry at Nina for layers of things, things that I've addressed, I've talked about in here, and and then things that happened on tour. Um, um, we had not been communicating for a long time at that mm-hmm. point, and and what felt like a long time was probably like a few months, but yeah. it felt like a long time. Um, and so it was it was revent it was vengeful and vindictive. Um, it was, although I wouldn't have acknowledged that at the time. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, and I was, I was really hurt. And mm-hmm. so for that same reason, it was a response to that. It was reactionary. And, um, I had people whispering in my ear, you've worked so hard for this name. It's, you know, it's a, it's, it's a trademark now. You, you know, you, you should keep this business going and, and why go off on your own and start over essentially. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's a really sore spot for me because in hindsight, I would, I would have done it differently were I to do it again, but I didn't. And now I need to embrace that too, you know, mm-hmm. cause I can't spend my life regretting what I did. And, um, and again, hopefully it'll all come out in the wash and it's a happy ending. And um, I like that you refer to that time period now as Veruca Starship. I thought it was really <laughs> hilarious. I mean, well, I mean, what would have been really to, smart like, is split it up. Was yeah. to, if I had actually called it that, like that would have been genius. Yeah, Unfortunately, I didn't learn about Starship until years later. We, oh no, yeah, we, my, my brother and I referred to it as Starship while it was all going on. It was uh, sort of like, okay, Veruca Salt, Veruca Starship, because you have to delineate somehow, mm-hmm. and you do. Mm-hmm. Um, Were you? I feel really bad asking these questions. You can ask okay, them. I know. We've, we've, for we've, posterity, we're all good. okay. Um, were you upset that Louise kept the name and like sang songs like "See There"? Because I saw you as Veruca Starship as well. <laughs> I would go. 
Um, and I saw, uh, I don't remember, it was kind of, I, there's yeah, a lot I don't um, remember mm-hmm, between like mm-hmm. 2001 and 2007, <laughs> so, okay. but I went. Mm-hmm. Um, was there any resentment there that she was playing the songs that you wrote for Veruca Salt? There, I, I, no, there wasn't resentment about that. There, there definitely was, um, but it was hurt as well. We were both really wounded by each mm-hmm. other. We, we, we were both in the same place emotionally. Um, I was, I was hurt by that because, um, you know, I walked away. I was the one who walked away. So I knew, I knew I was walking away, but I didn't think I was walking away from the name because I really thought the name was the two of us. Mm -hmm. Um, but I knew I was willing to walk away from the name because it's like leaving a marriage. Like if you want to get out quickly, you're going to pay for it. You know what I mean? I didn't want to fight about it. I didn't want to communicate at all. I wanted to just get out. So I did. And that's, this is what happened. And I now understand why it made perfect sense for her to, you know, given that trajectory, it, it made sense. And at the time it, it, it hurt me. It, it did. It hurt me because I still felt, even though everything fell apart, I still felt like we created it together. It was our baby. And so it felt like someone else is raising my child without my influence, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, that must feel horrible. Yeah. So that, that was really, really hard. Um, and, and that, by the way, that haunted me like the whole time I knew that in my heart, I knew this was hurting Nina. So it wasn't like I wake up like, yeah, another day of hurting Nina. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was like I began hurting myself because I was in so much pain and knowing that she, I was hurting her. Like it was not a healthy situation. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a healthy self-caring choice that I made. And people in my life who loved me at the time, who weren't in the industry, said, like, Louise, why don't you just drop the baggage? It's like, drop the rocks and swim to the surface. (laughs) You know, start over. Clean slate. Um, They really encouraged me to not keep the name, but I was holding on so tightly. And, you know, it's like that thing where you're so angry and you're holding on to this burning ember that you want to throw at someone, but you're the one that gets burned. Yeah. And I was just sitting there hurting myself while doing it like the choice I made and I was but I was so angry like I couldn't see past the anger and all these emotions but I and so it wasn't a a cleansing healthy self-care time you know it was more like implosion and so knowing that it was hurting her was was also um really toxic for me you know Mm -hmm. um I just want to interject that because there wasn't like some there wasn't like this some joy I was experiencing over more like carefree yeah. no it was more like uh, you know like let's keep this momentum going and just denying what the truth of it was to me which was that I I you know I would stay awake nights not feeling good about this mm-hmm. and um and the reason I played those songs live is because if I didn't I got so much shit from the promoters and all the way down the chain like I'd start getting called oh, and the crowd too and the I crowd mean, right so like it was like yeah yeah so, and I tried to do different versions of them to make it interesting for me, and um, that didn't really, like, scratch the itch that everyone had. And um, so by keeping the name, I had to. I had mm-hmm. to play the singles. I remember when I saw um, Resolver had just come out, mm-hmm. and number one, I heard it, and I was like, oh, shit, like, I really like that, you know, and even post-Nina, so it was hard to listen to. It was hard for me, but I did it. Um, but, yeah, there are songs that are... <laughs> very directly yeah, about well, <laughs> the things that happen. And then you have a couple, too, Black yeah, and Blonde. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and on that record, Polaroid or Number One Camera. And we mm-hmm. both, I mean, I remember listening to Resolver at the gym, 
you know, listening yeah, to these Yeah, it's like, oh, that's like, definitely oh, about me. Is that me or is that him? Is that me or is that about him? Is that about him? And she had the exact same experience. Yeah. Is it him or is it me? But I, interestingly or not, like Nina and I were still inspiring each other, possibly some of our best art from yeah. across oh, yeah. the yeah. state yeah. or definitely. the city or the country. And like... Definitely. I loved Number One Camera. It was like mm. me too. My favorite, my favorite songs on Resolve. I read that in an interview yeah. that your favorite songs on each other's were the meanest were the ones meanest. about us. <laughs> like, Wait, what was your favorite one? Do you know the one about? Well, I loved, I loved Only You Know. Mm. I thought it was, I mean, Only You Know, and then and used to know her. And <laughs> I mean, it. come on, that's like my favorite. Come on, I, I would even feel bad listening to it. No, like, don't feel bad. It was great. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. So yes, we we were able to. Somehow pick up the pieces and make and make music. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember listening to those. And just like, Holy shit! I Somebody should, wants to interject. I, I should hate this, but I love this. You know, it's like it's pretty intense. So, um, but now we get to make music together again and inspire each other. I know. It's fantastic. Yeah. I know. I can't believe I'm sitting here. <laughs> um, and you, I mean, you don't have to go. Um, do you, I mean, did you have any, or just any, any, uh, just about your solo career? Well, uh, there was one album that you recorded that wasn't released at all. Yeah. Um, um, well, so, you know, in that whole period and during Eight Arms to Hold You, um, touring, yeah, I, I was just about to be 30, I guess I was 29, and I started acting out a lot in lots of different ways and um yeah there were painkillers there was there were all kinds of drugs and um and also just irresponsible behavior you know cheating on my boyfriend whom I you know I loved a lot and um just all kinds of stuff that was you know the the trappings of being in a rock band and it all seems kind of fun and funny now um but it wasn't so funny. It was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but I think, um, you know, part of it is, first of all, being on the road is, is boring most yeah. of the day. And there's a reason that drugs and, and touring go together. Like it, it actually, on a, in moderation, it's actually a combination that works really well. You know what I mean? <laughs> Ideally, like I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who can do that. You know, I don't know um, who can do that. You know, drink in a recreational way or do drugs in a recreational way and have fun on the road. And you know, I'm I'm sure that can work really well. And I think for a while it did, and then it didn't. Um, and then my, I didn't really have the same battles. My battles were more just sort of emotional, um, and, um, you know, just the aftermath of the breakup was extremely sad and difficult, but I was sort of fueled by the idea that like I had to put out a solo record and I was going to get it out there. And I did pretty well with that structure. The fact that coming off of that second Vruc Assault album, um, my label and management, they were all supportive. They kept, you know, like kept going. And I went and recorded with Bob Rock again. And that was all kind of a great time, except that it was sad. And I still was in a lot of pain, obviously in a huge amount of pain. My brother came out. And so I had like my brother helping me a little bit with that album. And that was nice. But, um, then, then, uh, yeah, then music just kind of, I did make a second, a second record, but 
it was harder. You know, it was harder. There was a big space between yeah. those records, and it was harder and harder to make it happen without um, without structure, without Louise. Um, and life took a different kind of course. I, 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 Jeff and I got together and I really wanted to have children and that became kind of a longer mm-hmm. journey than I had expected. And, um, and music be- kind of faded into the background. Um, I was never happy about that, but it just did. And I didn't have a machine behind me saying like, you got to get this out. You got to do this. And, um, <clears throat> so I made a second record and I was eight months pregnant when it came out and oh, nobody no way. really, yeah, I mean, nobody <laughs> really cared. And my label, I was on Warner brothers at the time and they were sort of like relieved to not have to spend any money. I think oh. on the record because they had this great excuse, which was I was pregnant and there was no way I was just so you couldn't tour. tour or anything. Yeah. Or? And, um, and everyone just kind of let me go, and I just, you know, let it pass. And um, now feel like, oh, that's kind of sad because th- that record was, you know, that that took a lot of work, and I'm proud of it, but whatever. And then for years, I didn't write music. Music was just kind of gone, and it was sort of like a, um, it was a similar thing to, oh, you know, maybe we should ask. Do you want to come back? Yeah. We're not gonna. Yeah. Do you want me to just okay. tell him real quick? Sure. Well, if oh, good. is he? Or I don't know. What Maybe he's is. in with Brad now. I don't know. Yeah. But I feel like I don't want him to feel. Do you want to? Do you want to? Yeah, let me know. <laughs> okay. I'm so sorry. Oh, um, d- you got uh, married. Oh yeah. Uh, kids. Um, yeah. So well, I mean, and this comes up a lot too. Just did you feel like um, that you had to make a choice between playing music and being a mother? Or did it just kind of happen that way? Like, you got married, had kids, and it just falls by the wayside. Yeah, it just kind of went on to the back burner. And um, it definitely was gnawing at me the whole time. Um, I was happy to to be a mother. I am happy to be a mother. It's it's the greatest thing in the world. But... Um, but I always... You know, every time I would see people and they'd say, What are you doing? Are you writing music? No, I haven't really, no, I can't really get it together. I can't really, you know, I don't have any time. And there are women who do it. There yeah. are lots and lots of women who do it, who are able to be creative and be young, you know, parents, young mothers, um, new mothers, I should say. And, um, and I somehow just couldn't do it. My whole process was about having endless time ahead of me, you know, write a few lines of a song, take a nap. Write a few more lines, take another nap, maybe get something to eat, you know, stay up until three in the morning writing, um, and sleeping all day, you know, and so you just can't, and and friends of mine would say, well, you need to get a space, like get a studio somewhere and go and spend three, you know, three hours out of your day, just go or two times a week or whatever, make a schedule. And that's just not who I am. I've never been that person and I never understood how you could <laughs> I have alarms to remind me to do things. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. but um, I'm just going to turn that off one second. But um, yeah, no, I that's just never been me. And I feel like in order to create, you need hours and hours and hours and hours of endless time and no pressure. Mm-hmm. And the idea of scheduling songwriting time seemed crazy to me. And so I just kind of let it slide. And I think also part of um, being a mother, a new mother, it was also an excuse in a way. You know, we were talking about my 
difficulty sort of getting out there and doing these things and sort of needing Louise to push me to do it. So without Louise or anyone in my life that was like that, um, I was sort of happy to have a role that I could play mother and not feel like I'm not doing it. It's not like I'm sitting around doing nothing all day, you know, and so I could feel good about myself and not have to, not have to be, um, be creative in that way and writing songs, but it did gnaw at me. And, um, I didn't realize how important it was until we started doing it again. Mm -hmm. Um, and how much, you know, a huge part of me that is. And, um, you and you had been artistically dormant for so long, for a long at time. At that point. Yeah. yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's why there's less. I mean, because I think you did a, a lot more like back to back. Or there were more. Not really. Well, she records. played shows and I did not play shows. Yeah. I, did I did not tour. Mm-hmm. I did tour. Were there four? No. Ruka Starship? No, there were two and an EP. Oh, that's it? Just two in the EP? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. And in fact, this another uncanny thing about our being apart was that they our two records, full-length records, came out within months of each other. Both oh, times. Right. Both times. Like, we oh. both waited a huge... There was a huge <laughs> gap between the two. Yeah. Yeah. It was so like, it's we like we were really in sync, even though we were completely yeah. yeah. That's so awesome. incredible. Um, okay, and then you're married and you have one... You have a daughter. Yeah. Um, so after you got healthy again, you're still playing, um, and just, I mean, yeah, you just seem like such a performer. So I guess same question for you. Did you, did you want children? Um, did you think that you could have children and still play in a band? Um, did it just happen for you too? Like it kind of just happened for Nina, you meet somebody and... <laughs> get married and <laughs> um I always wanted children I always mm-hmm. imagined because my mom had me at 28 that I'd have like I'd start by by the time I was 28 oh yeah yeah but we were busy yeah we were just beginning really well imagine busy. if you'd had a kid oh my god then yep yeah. <laughs> and people do me too. yeah I it's know. not that great <laughs> um I um Met my husband to be, as I mentioned, when we played a show at the Double Door in Chicago in, in um, like, 94, 94, 95. But I didn't re-met, re-meet him until, like, 2000. Oh, okay. And um, we got together, and I remember we were getting loaded in the back of the bus, and I said, I don't want you to, th- we're not going one step further unless you tell me you want children. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and um, he said... I want a daughter. And oh, a daughter? He That's said he specific. wanted a daughter. <laughs> and <laughs> Just go get one at like, the daughter yeah. store. He said, I always imagined I would I would like to have a daughter. Hmm. And I said, okay, that's good enough. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so that scene. And then you Cut wrote it in your lawn. <laughs> daughter, check. <laughs> I may have made him commit to more children at that time. I feel, I seem to remember that I did. He claims I didn't. That he only cl- he only committed to one person, yeah. da- one daughter, um, one child. That being a daughter. Um, but um, so, but then you know, as, as time wore on, and we were the relationship because we met on the road. We were the relationship that was never meant to happen. We were like people were laying down money that we'd break up by the end of the oh. tour. <laughs> Like, this was not going to be the lasting relationship because we were both involved with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that was not the case. And um, years later, I was, I've never told Nina this story, so I was on my way to, I was getting in a van, loading gear in a van, I just got in the van to go play a show in Las Vegas in, well, you would know the date better than I, um, and not feeling it anymore, like not feeling the fight in me to keep the name going, to keep the band going, like I just wasn't, I mean, I still had music in coming, you know, I was still creating and I was still, I was exhausted from it. Like, and, and what I really wanted was to start a family. Mm -hmm. And at this point, um, my boyfriend then of many years was reluctant to have children, reluctant to get married. And, um, and I was on my way to the show and we had this, I think it was my guitar player told me as we sat down that he had heard that Nina was having a baby and I, I want uh, all I had such a you know a rush of emotion like of course joy for her because mm -hmm. I knew that this is what she wanted and um, pain like central pain because I knew it's what I wanted mm -hmm. and she being a reflection of me even after years of not seeing her and I was, I think I was 39 at that time, um, or something like that. And I was thinking, you know, the window's closing. And, and what am I doing? I'm going to go play a show in Las Vegas. Like, who cares about this, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and um, at some point after that, you know, I became clear that, I, that that's what I wanted. And, like, playing and writing music fell into the background. And... At some point after that, um, I don't know, I can't remember the time frame exactly, but maybe a year later, um, I found myself pregnant, and my husband dragged me to Vegas, back to Vegas, mm -hmm. and um, a few people flew out, my brother gave me away, his brother was the best man, and we got married, and, um, and then I miscarried, and it was like it was the most devastating thing to date in my life. And, um, I'm suddenly talking about this. And six months later, Nina and I, who were at this point in touch via email, um, were in touch. And, um, I had shared with her that just following the miscarriage, my husband had, um, a leg threatening series of emergency surgeries. And, um, he still has his leg, but we didn't know if he would keep it at the time. He had something called compartment syndrome. And so we got married, and then these sort of tragedies befell us. Oh. And um, I months later, Nina was privy to what happened with my husband. I, I had included her in, in all of that. And uh, months later, I, I emailed her. We were emailing about something, and I intimated to her that I'd had a miscarriage and um, and Ivy was born at that point right mm -hmm. she was and you weren't pregnant with Charlie yet but Ivy was born I, don't I like maybe <clears throat> maybe you were pregnant with Charlie I don't know I don't remember the timing mm -hmm. but um but she she wrote back me too oh. and and she knew exactly what I was going through and it was like, 
it was such an incredible gift to me mm-hmm. that she understood. And she proceeded to be, from that moment on, what she called my pregnancy sponsor and was there for me around every juncture and around every corner. And I went on to have two more miscarriages and then I had my daughter. Oh, okay. And Nina was there for me throughout all of it for every, every pregnancy test, every procedure, um, negative or positive. She was cheerleading when I had my amnio. Amnios are now obsolete. <laughs> it's such a joke that we had to go through that. <laughs> did you go through that? I did, yeah. Oh, okay. oh, I remember you telling me it's not that bad. And I was like, that was pretty bad. Um, <laughs> And, and, and she was there when, when the pregnancy test was getting more, you know, less faint, more positive, more mm. darker every day, and was there for me throughout that pregnancy journey, and when um, the, the results were in, and she was a healthy baby girl, and, um, and then, you know, of course, when she was born, and then, so that was the beginning of our, the relationship, of the renewing of our relationship. And that really catapulted us back into friendship, mm-hmm. and it was it was sisterhood at its, at its in its basest form, you know, right. its most fundamental. Form. And you still hadn't seen each other. We hadn't we seen just each, other. each other for years. We had been in a, been in touch in this very sort of distant way via email. Maybe on my birthday, I would get an email from Louise on her birthday, which is two weeks after. I would um, I would send an email. If we would see something that we thought the other would be interested in, you know, something, you know, a band or something or just a, some anything, we would send a little email. But it was always very kind of distant. Mm-hmm. It was never, how are you? Should we get together? Do you want to get together? I mean, that yeah. was never even, and there was nothing really personal. Um, but then when Louise um, emailed me, about her husband, and in that email said, you know, it was a difficult time, I had a miscarriage, it was devastating, I felt like, okay, I, I want to share this with her, because I have a lot of information about this. Mm-hmm. She was still, I think, you know, she, she wanted to have a baby, and um, I had had three miscarriages before Ivy, so it's, it's funny, we now laugh about, like, the whole idea of women in rock, and how... Um, you know, and, and, and the sadness about the content of our breakup and feminism and not being there for each other and betraying each other and all that. And then in the end, um, you know, one doesn't really know, you know, when, when you go through something like a miscarriage, you don't, uh, you have no idea why it's happening to you. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I would look around and see all these women with babies and I was like, I don't understand. It's so easy for them. And why is it so easy for them? And so hard for me. And I really didn't think it was going to happen for me. I had, I was 38 years old and I'd had three or however old I was. And I had three miscarriages and I thought, Oh, I'm just broken. Like, this is not Mm going to work. And, um, and why, why, why are you putting me through this? Why am I being put through this? And so when I got this email from Louise, all of a sudden my heart opened up to her in a way that all those years since our breakup, it had never been open. It was like, I still felt like if I'd bumped into her on the street, I would have given her a hug, but there would have been a wall, Mm -hmm. you know? And then when she wrote to me about her miscarriage, it was like, all of a sudden my heart just opened and I thought, I want to, I want to help her. Mm -hmm. I want to 
tell her about my experience and what I know about it. And, you know, and so, yeah, you know, I became her pregnancy sponsor because I knew every, I knew every doctor in the city. I knew, I knew exactly what you need to do to have a baby if you want to have a baby and it's not working, you know? And so, um, and we sh- we had the same OB as it turned out. Oh right, out. we did. Oh right, so right. Weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, weird. the the desire to be um, to be a mother was mm. what brought us back together, and what enabled us to to be in each other's lives in a, in a in a really substantial and meaningful way again. And so um, so we would talk on the phone. She would share every and, and but it still stayed on this very kind of medical level you know it really wasn't music still was not being talked about at all it occurred to me that nina might be pursuing a career as a doctor because she was so well informed (laughs) she was so articulate about medicine and about you know gynecological medicine Mm -hmm. um (laughs) that i thought this woman if she's not going medical school probably should be Uh, Uh, and i was there i was having had all this spent all the time this time in the hospital with my husband and then with my own stuff, like I had under, become to understand the value of nurses, and mm-hmm. I began to, and I began to think, all right, how many years could I, <laughs> how many years would it take, and do I have time, and could I, maybe I'll, that's maybe that's my next career, <laughs> and I actually went to an orientation, and I got pregnant with Lila, and I just couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine like taking, spending her, you know, my pregnancy and her first couple of years of nursing school or yeah. her first year, or so like it wasn't going to happen. But I'm glad it didn't. I know. I'm like, <laughs> that's really. <laughs> Yeah. But so we were talking and I and I can't I mean I will never ever forget when Louise texted me, you know, that, well, I, when when I got the news that Lila was born and healthy, it was like it it was I mean it was really I don't even know how to explain it. I was mm. so happy, so relieved. So I mean we'd been through all of that together. And I, I just, I've never been happier for another person. I was so thrilled. And, um, and so, you know, I do feel like there is a beauty in, and, and again, all those years of me saying, why me, why me? Now I realized, okay, maybe this was, this is why, this is why I had those miscarriages because I never would have, I don't know that I ever would have opened my heart again, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that's what opened the door. And then in time, when Mazzy Star were playing at um, Coachella, I thought, I want, I gotta, I, I, we gotta, we gotta play again. It's not, you know, they they were apart for fifteen years. Now they're doing it. We need to be playing. And so we just. Decided. Oh, you're you're the one who approached. Yeah. Louise with the idea. Yeah. Well, she had. You had, I think, in so, in one email, you had said something about it. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think I did. I but I, I kind of, I was still too closed off. This was pre-baby stuff. Okay. I was still just kind of closed off. My yeah, but it was also kind of like, it was a, <laughs> I'd like, I'm, in thinking about it now, it seems sort of half-hearted. Like, like a, an ex-boyfriend of mine um, proposed to me. I've been proposed to a few times. <laughs> they were all <laughs> shitty proposals. Like, one guy, you know, a couple like, sort of like, Drunk guys in my kitchen, like, do you think maybe we could? I'm like, uh, you know, no. Thanks. Yeah, like, what? What did you say? Did you just propose to me? But this this boyfriend who um I got to whom I got together with on the heels of our breakup, my breakup with Nina, um, 
and the other breakup with the dude, um, <laughs> the dude, <laughs> the dude um, he said, he's like, yeah, we should just get married. We should go to Vegas and get married. I'm like, no, that's not how we're doing it. I ended up doing that that way with someone else. But, um, but it was a half-hearted, I remember thinking that's a half-hearted proposal. Like yeah. you don't mean business. And I, I think that I didn't have the real, the really the nerve or, you know, I hadn't made amends to you. I hadn't like, I hadn't come to the place where it was really the right time for either of us. But I think that I, I, on, I knew that on, on some level, of course, that that I did want to play music with you, that I would love to play music with you again. And I just hadn't, you know, I wasn't ready to take it beyond Vegas, like, <laughs> to make it real, you know? <laughs> What's the expression you always used to use about burning the field, you oh, know, yeah. in crops where you have to burn the field yeah. in order to start, a, new. start yeah. a new? So a year before this happened the, the, the music started to happen again and I, had, I approached Louise about playing music again we dissolved the Veruca Salt LLC so for all oh. those years we were apart we still had a company together we just never oh. got around to it like we had people paying taxes for us and we hadn't We'd never dissolve the band. We'd never sign papers that actually dissolve the band. Nor had I started a new LLC for the new Veruca Salt. You know, like, it was just a, it was a very strange So we finally got around to it. We were like, we got to break up this band. This was 15 years, I mean, this was 15 years later. We're like, we got to break it. This is ridiculous. We got to break up the band. So we finally individually all signed the papers, right? Mm -hmm. And then a year later... (laughs) <laughs> this light bulb goes off. It's like, I want to play music with her again. Let's do it. And now we got the band back together. We had to form a new LLC. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's so pain. dumb. So dumb. The whole thing yeah. is so but dumb. We had to dismantle it down to nothing in order yeah. for it to, to, reform, to, right. in order to reform. Right. There is that saying. I don't remember exactly what it is, but... But isn't there a, yeah, a method yeah. of, of farming? Just like you have to get rid of all... Like clean house, like get rid of all the old stuff right. where you can right. start over. Well, right. it burn the fields. Burn the fields. Yeah. Steve Black told me that expression in order for the new harvest. Oh, okay. Yeah, the new harvest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then you, well, speaking of Steve Black, because then you had to kind of like talk him into it. We didn't have to talk him, him into it. He was you know, all for it. Well, he was, he, he surprised himself by being on board because yeah. for years he had been off the grid. No one knew what he was doing. There were rumors that he had died. Nina heard this rumor, oh my and, God. Um, and and was of course horrified and terrified. Steve and Jim reached out to Steve and found out that he was in fact still alive. Oh. And, um, but Steve was. Um, I hadn't. I I heard. I, I heard various things about him. It was all sort of mythology at this point. Like where what has happened to him? Mm-hmm. And um, he um, he resurfaced a couple years prior to our seeing each other. I, I sought him out and um, really just Facebook made it easier because I reconnected with his sister and then I found him and I got together with him and his wife and um, and and you know then retained contact with him after that mm-hmm. um, maintained contact with him just here and there but when um, when Nina and I got together and had dinner for, saw each other for the first time in 14 years we we talked about playing music and and I later that summer saw Steve and asked him if um, I was down in San Diego and I lunched with him and I said if we were to get together and we were to try to play music again would you be interested and he's paused and, and he said I've 
I've been wondering for years what my answer would be to this question. Uh -huh. <laughs> <And> it's yes. <laughs> and I didn't know what it would be, but it's yes. <laughs> and I think he had decided he wasn't going to play bass ever again. And he decided it, and he stuck to that for about 10 years, and, um, and or 12 years. And, um, and uh, strangely, similar to Jim and... and I don't know about us and guitars, but may possibly songwriting, like everyone's, everyone's better. <laughs> and uh, because we weren't done when we, you know, when we broke up, we mm -hmm. weren't done creatively. Um, interpersonally, we fell apart, but our friendship also wasn't done. It was just a, it was an unfortunate occurrence of events and, and that we couldn't hold it together and that we needed to break apart. We weren't, we weren't done creatively as a band. Um, I would I would guess Jim would say the same. He left, but he part of him wishes that he would have stayed to make the next Baruch Assault record. Mm -hmm. And it was his baby too, you know. It was very much his band too, and um, and so we all have. I'm sure we'll get there, you know, in your line in your questioning. But we all really fell in so naturally with one another. And found that we had so much more. We have found and are still finding that we have so much more to, to do together. There's so much more to create and so many more songs to write. And they're all happening really naturally. Mm -hmm. um, and you said your songwriting process is a little bit different now. Um, you don't kind of covet <laughs> what you've written so much anymore. You work more together. And I actually read that, um, Rena, you said something that's more for convenience purposes because you'll like send a song and oh I have to bring the kids to school can you write a bridge for this song well, yeah. or like write a it's chorus. It's kind of so. started out that way I think it's just of necessity there's a feeling of um you know you just yeah there's just not that much time so if someone else has a has an idea and it's coming quicker we don't have to be precious about it mm -hmm. and also I think you know when you're in your 20s women in their 20s well I don't want to make generalizations but I was crazy. I'll just say that. I was okay. cuckoo. And there's this feeling of, you know, being a young artist, poet, writer, you know, I felt like my voice had to be heard on every level. It was sort of like I had to, you know, every little feeling that I had was precious and worthy of, you know... <laughs> And whatever appreciation, and you know, from my boyfriend, from my family, from from my band, from whatever it was. And then once we got this sort of band going, and it was like, oh, I get to make records, and I get to. It's like this is my this is my baby. This is my. And then kind of you know, once you get a little bit older, it's not that the music is any less important. It's not. We still have really high standards for what we're doing. It's not like we're like, ah, it's a throwaway. Mm -hmm. Who cares? Or we're just phoning it in. We're taking it really seriously, but it isn't so deeply personal on an individual level. Yeah. It's like, I don't, for my survival, yeah. I don't need to, I don't need to be the, the sole owner of this thought and yeah. this idea <laughs> and this sentiment. It's like, we can share that together. And, and we can share it with Jim and Steve. And, um, and so I think that's actually, I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge relief. And to write that way, um, we still get to have the, the satisfaction, the feeling of, you know, creating and, and 
um, performing, but it it just doesn't have the same. Wouldn't you agree? It doesn't have that same. Um, it's not as loaded. It's yeah. just not as loaded. Hopefully, it's as, every bit as good and as passionate. Um, because the passion is there. It's just. It's not. It doesn't have that crazy early twenties. Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't know how mm-hmm. life was going to say quoi. Right. We didn't <laughs> know how life was going to pan out at that time. Like we both knew that we had a. We had a. You know, it's how you draw your life up in the locker room. Like we had a vision for how things would ideally evolve, and then I think we both imagined ourselves eventually as mothers and happily married moms and um, living a healthy, prosperous life. We didn't know how we were going to get there, and we were definitely trying to make our mark as, as legitimate artists at mm-hmm. the time and and finding our voices. And that was so important to us that um, having, a, having a partner and some, you know, hmm, we weren't as into co-writing lyrics because the sentiment had to be so uniquely ours because we were so fiercely trying to establish our own voice and find our own voice. So it felt threatening to have someone else possibly, you know, whatever, offering input. So we didn't, we actually never even did that with one another or very rarely did that. Mm -hmm. When we did, it was a relief on a couple things like the Albini EP because we weren't shouldering so much, you know, so much responsibility for our own identities. It was kind of like just cut loose and have fun in a band, you know? Yeah, even like switched off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which was so much Mm -hmm. fun. And those songs ended up being the songs that were the most fun to perform. They still Mm -hmm. are, yeah. They still are. Yeah. They're the most fun. The trading off vocals. And then you feel, and, and there is something about the health of the band. You know, the whole thing that Vicki Peterson said about, you know, splintering or, you know, divisiveness, all of that kind of stuff, um doesn't come into play as much if you're co-writing if you're writing individually then there are nina songs and louise songs and then you know you are going to have somebody at a label saying oh it's got to be this song and and then you know whereas if you're co-writing songs then they're our songs and they should have been our songs all along and i think we for the most part felt that way but of course i'm going to have certain songs of louise's that i love more than others Mm -hmm. you know she's going to have the same but if we're writing together it's like yeah, it's co-ownership, and in a way, that's a healthier. It's a healthier relationship for us to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and it's it's just less burdensome. It's and then really you're not thinking when you're um when you're writing out a set list. Like we would write out set lists, and there's always this sort of tension of like oh. it's got to be Nina's song, Louise song, Nina's right. song, Louise yeah, song. Like oh wait, there numbers. are six of my songs and only four of hers. That's not okay. Let's flip it over. What should we? You know, whereas if we're both singing on them and we're both writing them together then it's sort of like they're ours it doesn't matter you know mm-hmm. yeah it's a relief and it's a relief having written songs on my own for so long and shouldering the weight of keeping the name by myself being um not having a partner it's such a relief to be you know back together sharing the songwriting responsibilities I mean I don't I know that you have had a similar experience writing your albums and just and just not having you know probably the liberating part but the part and not and then the the kind of the lonely part and the sort of you know I felt adrift I felt like who cares if I write this song you know (laughs) (laughs) like I remember reading something from a fan on on the internet and just going like and and someone saying like where's your next record I want to hear it and thinking oh Somebody, somebody 
Yeah. You're a record? There were some oh, of us. Yeah. I didn't write it on the internet. I just thought it. I'm just putting it out putting there. It I'm not saying there were, that I didn't have fans and that Starship yeah. didn't have fans. And that and also, I, I feel like, you know, along those lines, some of those fans have taken umbrage with my being so dismissive of those albums as Resolve albums because they oh, felt really? like I came on board during that time. Like I didn't mm. know the band before Resolver. Like why would you be so dismissive of? It feels it feels like they're t- like they're they take it personally almost. Oh. You know. So anyway, just trying to navigate <laughs> yeah, these, yeah. Un- these unfamiliar waters. You know. Mm. But um, but God, what a relief! What a relief! Yeah. Can I just say un- and also playing shows. What's so nice about this past tour, the summer in Australia? As you do realize, it's so much nicer to have somebody up there with you. So it's like, if I was having a bad show, I'd look over at Louise, and she was so in it, and I was like, great. Yeah. She's taken over. It doesn't matter. Like, Mm -hmm. I can can have an ass show where I don't have all the energy. I wish I had, and she's got it all. And there was a night when Louise was sick, and she didn't have her voice, and I was like, all right, I'll take it. Here I go. It's just... You know, it's like mm. a relay, and you've got a teammate. It's so it's much nicer. So great. And those times when you saw that show that you saw in, um, where was it, Rhode Island or Boston? I don't know. It was Providence, actually. Oh, Providence, yeah. you said that. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I seem to remember that show. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I, I offer all those shows without Nina. I, I felt like, you know, looked to my right, and where was she? And there was mm. this empty spot, you know? Um, or there was some other woman. Um, but no, whose but name she, might have rhymed with Nina. Yeah. <laughs> that was like two weeks long. But she, but the, there was there was some dude over there. You know, right, like, right. It like there was not. I had the same experience. Totally same experience. It's so much fun to be on stage and look over and see Louise. Yeah. It's so great. No, that was so crazy. Like to see that at the. Sh- I was just so excited. I just, like, just gotten back from Asia, so I was super super tired. But I'm like, I can't believe. I was like, this is just wonderful. Like, I was just so happy for you because it's, it's nice really just to fun. see you back together as yeah. friends, too, and just happy on stage. Um, totally happy. Everyone, like, you all just yeah. look like you were having a good time. Yeah. Um, you know, Jim, Jim said that whole tour, he's like, we've gotten through the hardest parts. Yeah. Like, all we need to do is show up and have a good time. That's mm-hmm. our only job tonight. And so he said it so many times. He would say that every night yeah. before the show. It was like his little pep talk. He's yeah. like, just remember, we just have to have fun. That's all we have to do. Yeah. And we don't need fun. to worry about right. anything up there except mm-hmm. having a good time. And so I started saying, Jim, would you say that thing again? Yeah. <laughs> you just say it before every show and yeah. do your power pose. Mm-hmm. Um, really? Can I ask you just like a couple feministy yes. Smith questions? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> and again, with that, I'm just always so afraid of like offending someone. Um, <laughs> are you conscious of uh, because you're on stage and people are staring at you um, are you conscious of aging in front of people um, being an older woman but not older what no, are you guys yes, technically yes. Middle, what do I don't we know like is it say? middle age I don't know what it's called no there's some what do, what do we like to say uh, women are, well, I'm deliberately, position. I'm only interviewing people who are over 40 mm-hmm. because I, you know, it's like, <laughs> what kind of perspective do you have as like a 28 year old right. or right, something? Right, right, so right. I don't care. Right. Um, but yeah, just that's something that it doesn't come up in when you're interviewing old male rock stars. I mean, it is different. Like there is a double standard. I think being a musician is a gendered occupation. Like it is just different. 
I don't know. I'm just so oh, like, yeah, no, we do. We do. We feel it. And, and, um, you know, it, there, the truth is back in the day, as I said, we enjoyed to a certain extent, we really did enjoy the fun, like, oh, we look pretty. That's nice. You know, but really it all started with music and it was about music and it was easy to get sidetracked when you show up at a photo shoot and they've got all these pretty clothes and makeup and and you do, you get kind of derailed. And then, um, but it's still fun. I mean, it was great. Mm -hmm. So now when we do that kind of stuff, you know, it's harder. It's harder. You know, we, we're, we've always looked at ourselves with a critical lens. Now, you know, I remember my mother saying to me when I was really young, like, you know, and insecure about wearing a bathing suit or whatever it was when I was a teenager. And she said, enjoy it because you will look back <laughs> when you were older and you say, well, I looked amazing. Why did I, you know, and, um, and now I, you know, have a daughter and I would like her to feel great about how she looks at every moment in her life. And, um, I would like that, you know, I'd like to say, oh, it doesn't matter and you shouldn't care and what you look like doesn't matter. But we, um, we played, you know, we did Conan O'Brien and it was the first time we'd been on television and it was really hard. This is, you know, yeah. six months ago, whenever that was. And it's really hard not to look at yourself and say like, you know, whatever it is, to look at yourself in this hypercritical way. And then we had this sort of realization of, like, we are not supermodels. We are, we can be role models. Mm -hmm. um, we were back then, and we can be now. It is not our job to look younger than we are. Mm -hmm. It's not our job to look like models. It is our job to be in our 40s playing music that we love for people that possibly love us, possibly, <laughs> possibly like us, possibly hate us, whatever it is. But it is, it's our job to be artists and to make music. It is not our job. And so it, that is something that I try to come back to whenever I feel myself veering away and feeling insecure and looking at myself with that critical lens, that, that stuff does not matter. It's way more important. You know, you look at, Chrissy Hunt or Patti Smith or, mm -hmm. you know, Amy Mann, anyone, you know, who, Joni Mitchell, you know, Joni Mitchell, who's now the face of Yves Saint Laurent. For, oh, is she? Yes, she Did is. Not know that. And Joan Didion is the face of Celine oh. to, to 2015. So, um, I know. So, you, um, you know, every time I feel myself veering away towards the dark side of like, ah, what if... I you feel me veering away. Or I feel Louise veering <laughs> oh, away yeah. or she feels me veering away. We have to remind ourselves that's not this is that's not important. What is important is that we are not hiding ourselves. We are going out there and playing shows and going on television and looking like women in their forties look and playing music. That's what it's about. It's about rock and it's about it's about music. Yeah. And and you know, loving what we do. And so it's yeah. about lasting songs and and, yeah. you know, and as I said before, like making our offering now while we feel it, you know, mm -hmm. and I mean, I was just thinking, you know, one famous musician who has aged beautifully and made music the whole way through. Well, two, I can think of Neil Young and David Bowie, um, not of the female variety, you know, the, the songs that they've made over the course of time, it's all in the songs. It's all about mm -hmm. the songs and they've people aren't going to be looking at pictures of, of Neil Young 
when they hear a song in the future, like whether it's from when he was in his 40s or 30s or 20s, they're just going to hear a song by Neil Young, you know, yeah. and and know that, that re they recognize that voice. And um, if they care to look deeper, they can find out what album and what, you know, and what phase of his career it was. But but in the end, it's it's our voices together that, you know, that define this band. And it's it's hopefully we have just we're continuing to make songs that matter and songs mm -hmm. that penetrate and and impact people because those are the kind of obviously the music the music that drives us and compels us to make our own music is the stuff that comforted us when we were little and inspired us when we were teenagers and and made us excited us about being artists you know and and made us think that we might be able to do it ourselves one day mm -hmm. and hopefully those are the things that um we are doing to other people and for other people and will continue to um, you have more, you're not on a label, right? Are you releasing everything yourself? Um, so we, we could possibly very soon be on a label. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, that's it. It's in the works right now. And the reason for that is because we really like the person who runs this label and because, mm -hmm. um, we are as moms so busy that we, as much as we like the idea of self-releasing, yeah. we don't have, we don't have the time. We need someone to be running consuming. it. Yeah. Um, I need to just check. Check check in with my husband because he's called three times and I'm a little concerned about my dog. Okay, well so we I'm can. Sure. Yeah, I, mean, I can do that, but I do need to check it right now. Sure. Excuse me, because he has called a couple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. So did the age question? Mm -hmm. Um. And I guess I always ask this question because I'm doing the project after writing that paper, which I hope to turn into an article. Just um, I kind of focused on the '90s by accident. Um, and actually focused on those articles that were written about you guys, kind of, but because they pissed me off <laughs> so so badly. Um, and I'm so I'm doing this project because I just feel like um, you know there are women in rock who are adequately represented, and I mean although they it's like women of rock or the Rolling Stone book women of rock, and you have Patti Smith and Debbie Harry and you know Courtney Love. Um, kind of is supposed to represent, like, all women, I, I feel like, who played rock music in the 90s. Like, you have these token women who are supposed to represent everybody else who was playing music during that time. Mm -hmm. There was even uh, one of the articles I read about you guys for my paper said, we don't need another Breeders. And it's like, oh, there's already a Breeders. And you sound nothing like the Breeders. Right, right, but it's right. just, like, that genre of music, you can only have one. Right. Um, and just in general, how do you feel about the about the representation of women in music, in rock music? Um, I'm not even talking about, you know, the super famous people like the Courtney Loves and the Patti Smiths, but um, like the people I'm interviewing, um, who I just, it, it's, I notice that it's hard for me to do research for these interviews because there's not... A lot of stuff there's not a lot of information readily available which is why right. i'm doing this and just your thoughts on that i am very long-winded <laughs> that was a question <laughs> that was kind of a question um i feel like there are plenty of us out there i have the sense that there's more and more i mean i know so many 16-year-old girls who can play guitar, like, incredibly well. 16-year-old um, girls who can play drums. Like, people, 
now I feel like girls just pick up guitars and learn to play them really young and get really good and can do, you know, garage band or their total pro tools and they can record stuff, put it out, put it up on, on the internet. Like I, I feel like we're all out there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of a question of what gets played. It doesn't really matter anymore. What gets played on the radio. Yeah. Like obviously in the top 40 world, it's going to be the girls that are, you know, Possibly less rock, possibly more pop. Um, maybe don't play instruments, but maybe they do. That maybe they're really excellent piano piano players. I mean, I feel like there are plenty of women saying really interesting things on in all genres, mm-hmm. and now they're all we're all there, you know, right? I mean, and it's easy to get it all out there, and um, I don't think there's a people always come up to me and they'll say like. There's nobody doing what you guys did, and there's nobody, and there is. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like there really is. There's no, there's no us because we, what we have is unique. But there, there are, I think there are a lot of women playing music everywhere right now, mm-hmm. girls and women, um, in abundance. That's my perception. Uh, what about like, um, uh, like? as far as documenting history or something, or, like, the rock canon. Um, I guess I was thinking about that more. Like, and well, it's kind of hard because now it's not... Now you have the internet, so it's not really rock journalism anymore, but right, how women right. are represented in rock journalism or music blogs or how you're written about, how often you're written about, um, in, you know, in comparison to male-fronted bands? Um, I don't know. I don't know that I'm equipped to comment on that. I do feel like, just on a tangent, I suppose, that um, I did feel like when we came back out again, um, I felt like the reception was really positive. There was not a lot of snarky stuff being said about us, at least not that I know of. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's harder now. People don't really criticize as much. Like now I feel like because it's all, because it's all out there and I feel like there's this sort of group understanding that we support everybody. Mm -hmm. Like we're just going to support everybody and no one's going to, like, I feel like nobody, nobody commented on us, you know, being too old to be out there. Like Mm -hmm. back then they commented on us being you know, whatever, not, not real, not talented, not whatever. I feel like nobody, nobody cut us down. Mm -hmm. And I was sort of expecting to be cut down because that's what it was like back then. Yeah. But nobody did. I haven't read anything. No. Anything negative. No. About your reunion. And I don't know what that's about. I I don't know whether it's just the, the climate is kinder and more accepting uh, or, or I don't know. Time will tell, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll see when you, when you release your record yeah. or something. I think we we'll right. get a real taste of what it's yeah, going to be. Yeah, that's probably true. Now. That's probably true. Yeah. yeah, I think people were you know happily surprised that we returned and reunited and we're playing shows and mm-hmm. it was a very pleasant experience to read all that press. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And we'll see. Yeah, when our record comes out, you know what the reception is like and and if there's a similar kind of um, you know potential for that kind of backlash that existed back then. But I think Nina's right. I think that, that the climate has changed. Yeah. And um, like other artists, artists don't really rip on other artists as much as they used to. Like 
because you got to be careful because everything's out there immediately. Like back right. in the day, oh, yeah. we would slag everybody, but that was because it would show up in one magazine and it would have to get out via word of mouth. But like mm-hmm. now, I would never really slag anybody yeah. on, you know, because yeah. then everybody knows and then you're face to, you know, then that person tweets at you and tells you, so you you're just an love asshole. everybody. Because <laughs> you're so emotionally evolved that you would have no need because you love everyone, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> Um, you know, no, no time for all that negativity anymore. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, is there anything else that you? I kind of just let people run, <laughs> just run free at the end. If there was anything that I, I feel like I've been here for a really long time. I'm going to tell Jen I went well over the two hours. She was yep. like, "You have two hours." <laughs> like, okay, Jen. <laughs> um, but I do always ask uh, people. It's my Oprah question, and sometimes it makes people cry. Your but Oprah question. It's really not that intense. It's just, what are you most, do you have any regrets? Um, What are you most proud of, either personally or professionally, um, as far as your career goes? Yeah. Well, luckily, we've covered the regrets part already. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And um, You know, I mean, and I, I think we've already talked about this too, but I'm really proud of me and my friend Nina for for getting past <laughs> our shit and getting back together and doing yeah. this now, you know, and and doing it as mothers, and you know, li- really living. I and mean, we are living the dream. We're <laughs> and and it's not it's it's not like we have round the clock nannies and we're living in mansions and all of that <laughs> stuff that one would imagine in Hollywood of the dream of LA or whatever or in the industry. But we are living what like the most incredible dream I could have imagined in, in, and in making this album together and in having renewed our friendship and, and our daughters being friends, our Mm -hmm. children being friends and, um, having Jim and Steve back in my life is such an incredible gift. And to know these people again, who are like my family, it's sort of, you know, as a, as a child of a, of a broken family, I think, um, I, my biggest dream would be that everyone reunited, you know, mm-hmm. my parents reunited, my family reunited, and we were once together again, and there was a sense of harmony, and that was not meant to happen, but this was apparently meant to happen, and this was another family in my life, and, um, and beyond that, we have families of our own, and so this doesn't carry the weight that an unnecessary weight, an inappropriate weight that it did back then. Mm-hmm. Now it can be in in its proper place and and we can be musicians and work together and create together and have very fulfilled, happy personal lives that we have cultivated over time with blood, sweat and tears and, and love and and now it's just like a world of abundance. And you know, Nina and I can craft our futures, you know, together independently, but we can work towards being songwriters and co-songwriters because we now know how to do that and mm-hmm. we're working we work at that too for a long time to come and sort of like it feels like the world is our oyster and we can do whatever we want with it right now and and as long as we really honor what's been given to us and have gratitude for what's been given to us and what's in our present we have an abundant future and I feel like we're at a really really beautiful juncture and a great place all right well thank you both very much for, I really do appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to do this. Really? Thank you for mm-hmm. yeah, including us in this project. You're my favorite ones, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs>
hope you enjoyed uh, this, our very first two-part episode with Nina Gordon and Louise Post of Veruca Salt. You can view their full video interview on www.womenofrock.org, on YouTube, or on our Vimeo page. I don't know how to do any of these things that I'm going to ask you to do, but um, I hear that you can like and subscribe. And this podcast is available um, on every platform that you could possibly want to listen to a podcast. Like us and follow us on social media, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I think that's about it. Share with your friends, spread the word, and uh, I will see you next week. Thank you.